welcome to the exciting adventures of the Intro to Briscoe podcast, the most fearless podcasters of them all. Aided by the trusty veterans Matt and Mel, our heroic newbies Will and Caitlin review this cult classic series one stupendous episode at a time. Join them now as they take an in-depth look at this week's thrilling episode. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Intro to Briscoe. My name is Matt, and uh, joining me is my wife and fellow Briscoe fan, Melanie. Hey! And we've also got some newbie co-hosts. We've got Will. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> and Caitlin. Howdy! And today we're joined by our special guest, Nobody. Uh, we thought we'd just do the four of us this time, you know, get used to our voices. Uh, so Mel and I have seen the show before, and uh, but we've only watched it once, right? Mm. Just when we first got the DVDs. So, you know, we're familiar with the broad strokes, but a lot of this will probably surprise us too, because we've only seen it once. So you've got our perspective on, a, on this review of Briscoe County Jr. You've also got the newbie co-hosts here who've never seen it before. And uh, we've also got lots of uh, listeners who are going to send in feedback as well. And actually the large majority of them are first-timers as well. So that's going to be really great. So, Will and Caitlin, what uh, what did you know about Briscoe before starting this? Anything? You even hear of it before? All right. I, I think... When Lost was going off the air, I was just eager to see something else that Carlton and Damon had done. So that's when I just bought the DVDs. But, you know, it took me a few years to finally get around to watching them. But, yeah, I had heard of the show before, but didn't really know much about it. I hadn't heard of the show before. I knew Bruce Campbell, but... Who, yeah, who doesn't? The show, yeah. <laughs> He's the best, am I right? Of course. Yes. <laughs> And speaking of that, I'm going to open the episode with a reading from the book of Bruce, <laughs> which is the New York Times bestseller, If Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. <laughs> I just thought I'd read a little bit from uh, his chapter on his time on Briscoe County Jr. This is from the chapter, Life in the Fast Lane, The Rise and Fall of Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. There's no season two. Um... Uh, HUD was in the can, which refers to HUD Sucker Proxy. Army was about to hit the theaters, and I had just landed a new talent agent. Things were looking up. My first audition as their client was for the lead in a new Western TV show. With the television series, you don't just get the lead part, you've got to earn it. And landing the title role in The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. was a journey of its own. Audition number one was for the casting director. Their job, among other things, is to separate the chaff from the wheat and send only the best actors to the next level. Actors all look for a way to leave an impression on casting directors to avoid being lost in the shuffle. One audition piece for the show involved some fighting. There wasn't much I could do in this small office, so I fell back on the old Bonzoid sisters. Uh, that reference goes over my know. head. Me too. R routine and flipped myself head over heels. Oh my god, the casting director screamed as he lurched back in his chair. <laughs> Fortunately, th this left a favorable impression, and I was able to audition for the producers. 
They carry a large amount of weight when it comes to who gets cast for what. But in this high-stakes chess game, producers are not the final word, not by a long shot. With the reading and another flip, I cleared that hurdle. Audition number three was with more producers again. More of a work session than anything. It was to prepare me for the Warner Brother TV execs. Audition number four was a room full of attentive, quiet people. Among them were the one or two individuals who could send me up to the next level. Just before the audition, the casting director cornered me. Bruce, you're going to do that flip thing again, aren't you? Yeah, sure, I said, as long as my back holds out. Audition number five was the big one. This was for an even larger group of quiet people. The freaky thing about network auditions is that you have to pre-negotiate your deal. You have to hammer out every detail, down to plane tickets and per diem, with agents, lawyers, and business affairs people, and you still might not get the part. Networks had obviously been in the awkward position of approving someone and then failing to close a deal. After the audition, which I could do in my sleep by that point, I decided to give the network brass a little speech. Actors aren't encouraged to interact with them, but I thought, the hell with it, they should know who they're getting into business with. Look, uh, I just want to tell you folks that if you cast me in this part, I won't stab you in the back. I'm a hard worker, and I'll do everything I can to help make this show a success. Okay, well, I guess that's it. Thanks for your time. (laughs) Driving home that night, I got the call, and I'll spare you the descriptions of how I whooped and hollered. It's far too embarrassing. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so that's just a little funny story about every time he had to audition, he had to do, like, he had to flip himself over in, in place. So if you, I guess if you're auditioning for something, don't do anything too crazy or else you be asked to repeat it. But, <laughs> but maybe that's what got him the, the gig, I don't know. Okay, I'll just start with some uh, general info about the show. So uh, Briscoe was developed by Jeffrey Bohm and Carlton Cuse at the request of Fox executive Bob Greenblatt. Impressed by the duo's work on the script for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Greenblatt suggested they develop a series that bore the tone and style of vintage movie serials. Q started watching old serials and noticed that many fell into two genres, westerns and science fiction. This gave Bohm and Cuse the idea to combine the genres. They decided to emulate the serial style, for example. Each act within an episode begins with a title, usually a pun, and ends with a cliffhanger. Season 1 aired along with Season 1 of The X-Files in a two-hour block of TV. So it was Briscoe at 8 and then X-Files every Friday night. And uh, personally, I don't know what becomes of X-Files later, because I'm only up to Season 3, but I really think that by the time you've gone through the show and you compare season one of this and season one of the X-Files, you're probably going to agree that the wrong show got canceled. (laughs) I don't know. Personally, I think Campbell's like a hundred times better than Duchovny. Campbell's considered a B-list actor, so I guess we shouldn't uh, poke fun at X-Files too much. The rival podcast. Our rival podcast intro to X. Start a war. Start a war with them, yeah. (laughs) All right, so I guess we can get into the episode. Uh, Episode one, the pilot. Uh, directed by Brian Spicer, best known for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. Awesome. (laughs) I'm a big fan. Are you? Oh, yes. Writers uh, Jeffrey Bohm and Carlton Cuse and David Simpkins. So it starts out, and we're in a mine, and it looks like there's some Chinese workers in shackles. I I mean, slavery is illegal at this point, right? Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's 1893, they established later, which is 100 years prior to when it first aired. But, there's um, something fishy going there's on. So, yeah, there's something fishy going on. <laughs> I don't think these 
these people are here legally. <laughs> just, yeah, just because it's illegal doesn't mean it, it's not happening. Yeah. Explosion uncovers some sort of mysterious orb, and in my in my mind, it looks like a giant Ferrero Rocher chocolate. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen those. Maybe that's yeah. just a Canadian chocolate. It must be. <laughs> oh man. No one else is gonna get my they're reference. Like, they're like basically like this like lumpy like they've got like nuts in them and they're wrapped in like gold, gold. foil. Yeah. So it kind of looks like it looks like that. Yeah. It looks like the orb. <laughs> yes. But they're found... probably much more delicious. Yeah. I don't think you can take a bite out of the orb. Um, Have you ever tried? <laughs> and then uh, one of them pulls out a weird rod, with, like blue light. So what were you, what were you guys thinking at this point? Lightsabers. <laughs> Why was he touching it? It. Yeah. It doesn't seem natural for me. It was just like this really strange object. You wouldn't be like, uh, I don't know, frightened to touch it at all? I, yeah. I think mm. that scene did seem a little strange where he just like pulled it out and he seemed to like know exactly what to do with it. He kind of waved it over his friends. Like I, I felt it. like he was possessed a little bit. Could be it. And I'm not even trying to throw you off. I really don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it breaks their shackles. Oh, yes. It breaks their shackles. That's the yeah. important thing. Yeah. And then uh, we get the chapter one title, The Blast Supper, which I don't know how you guys feel about puns, but I'm not crazy about them. (laughs) (laughs) They're okay. I kept thinking Robin would love this. (laughs) Yes. There's one scene there were like three or four puns in a row from the characters. Yes. Mm. (laughs) The lowest form of comedy. (laughs) It is. Well, no, the lowest form of comedy is prop comedy. Then it's puns. (laughs) No, prop comedy, then fart jokes. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's the way to appeal to everyone. I think it was Tina Fey who talked about like the success of Thirty Rock, mm. and part of it is because they acknowledge, you know, that the the jokes, like the farting jokes or whatever, you know, those are funny, even yes. though they have stuff that is a bit higher than that. Yeah, everybody likes to think they're above fart jokes, but everybody laughs. laughs. Yeah, and I will admit that I begrudgingly that I do laugh at puns occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> but not lame ones. Especially if it's the Muppets. <laughs> yes, um, just like to laugh this... aside. Mm. Don't let anyone else know. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm yeah. laughing in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's this guy at work who keeps farting very loudly, and I laugh every time, even though I'm I should be professional and just not say anything, but I'll laugh every time. Don't encourage him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go to a train. We learn that uh, the train is carrying uh, 12 or 13? 12 13 or 13. Prisoners. Oh, Anyways, it's John Bly's gang, and uh, they're a notorious yes, gang. Uh, Marshal Briscoe County is the one who captured them, uh, apparently single-handedly, says the reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Figuratively speaking. Yeah. I don't know if that's legal uh what that reporter was doing are you is that legal to misquote a person are you allowed to do that or is that just like a, a, oh. an, a question of journalistic integrity you mean where he threatened him if he didn't give him a quote basically he's like i'll just put something yeah. whatever but how could you prove he's lying yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't really like this uh journalist character i don't know you guys no he seems shady yeah he is shady and he's like captain exposition later <laughs> <laughs> he uh, just seems to me to have a big ego uh, the reporter's name is Jonah Collier. So, um, Briscoe County Senior here is played by R. Lee Ermey. Everybody recognize him? Yeah, it's on X-Files. Yeah, he's been on one episode of X-Files, but he's also uh, the drill sergeant from, most famously from Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, he's like a drill sergeant in everything, it seems like. <laughs> well, apparently he was a real drill sergeant in real life. And he, uh, I think he was hired on Full Metal Jacket just to... Ca- to kind of, like, show them how it to was coach. done? coach... 
an actor to be a, a drill sergeant, but then he gave them an audition tape where he like he was insulting fake uh, soldiers all the while being pelted by tennis balls, and he wasn't flinching. <laughs> that's, that's how we got the part in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But yeah, I love Arlie Ermey, and he looks in this scene. He looks completely different than usual. Like I, if I hadn't read the credits, I probably wouldn't have noticed him. I guess it's the mutton chops or whatever. Yeah, that crazy mustache. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, a clever disguise. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they call attention to Briscoe's fancy, famous gun. Ironically, he calls it a peacemaker. <laughs> I never got that. I never got that uh, name for a gun. It's my peacemaker. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I kill everyone in this piece. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ironic. Yeah. Then we go to a shot. What's the guy's name? Ian. No. Mm-hmm. The painter. I don't remember. Ah, I'm shit. just called him the painter. Anyways, there's a painter painting a rock in a wily coyote fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Sorry. the Pete character. He you seems like Pete? to be yeah. Seems to be a well cultured man <laughs> for an outlaw. Yeah. But he doesn't like the Impressionists. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was funny just to, to paint it. It was something I wasn't expecting. It just really kind of set the tone for this show, I think. It definitely does. Did it stretch your uh, suspension of disbelief too much? or No, I was all for it. I was the guy really into it. Yeah. You're all for Wiley Coyote Rock Painted Rock. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I was wondering about the rock itself. It must have taken a long time to like set it up on the tracks. It was a practical effect. Yeah. They were talking about it in the commentary that it was a big foam rock and it was all yeah. hand painted. They said nowadays you just like, you know, do it like a CG. CG. Yeah, yeah, when the train crashes into it, it's a miniature. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think she's talking about the practicality oh, of the actual characters moving oh, this gigantic. Yes, I'm fully yes. into the show here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In the universe. Yes. Oh, that's right. Sorry. One of those two has super strength. <laughs> Did you mention who the painter is played by? Carlton Cuse. Yeah. Ah. Cameo by Carlton Cuse. <laughs> Apparently, there's a a cameo by a old school wrestler here but i don't know who that is you're gonna have to point it out yeah i can't remember exactly who it's in the later the courtroom scene okay briscoe notices that the reporter's missing a pin then we're we cut to john bly slowly removing his hood and uh what i took from uh john bly's uh billy drago's acting here is that if you want to be creepy just move really slowly and never blink <laughs> <laughs> I love that shot when he's just taking the hood off. It's like peeling his skin off a his face or something. I don't know. <laughs> he's peeling, peeling a banana off banana his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Have you guys seen Billy Drago in anything? He looked familiar. I couldn't place him though. He has a distinctive face, so yeah. Fine, he's got like a plasticky looking face, kind of like David Bowie has. <laughs> you know, it's the weird, like, they don't look like they're a real person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, apparently he only, pretty much only plays bad guys. Yeah. He's got a face for it. But Bruce Campbell said he was the nicest guy. Yeah, in the commentary. <laughs> yeah. The train crashes, and then Briscoe's the last man standing, and he heads up to the car, and he gets he gets to kick one dude in the face. I was sad that's all he got to do. But uh, then he opens the, the train car that had the prisoners, and he's shot full of holes. X-Swiss cheese. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to see more of him. In addition to... John Bly were introduced to Big Smith here, and they as they both laugh at Briscoe's uh, corpse. And you guys recognize Big Smith, MC Ganey? He was Mr. Friendly on Lost. Right. He was much older, so I think he's changed quite a quite a bit in looks. Yeah. So did Carlton. Yeah. 
<laughs> so then we cut to the newspaper man's office, and he's just spouting off exposition. <laughs> I, I like get, that both his arms are broken. Feels like he deserves it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he basically gets the audience up to speed on uh, on what's happening. I guess. I guess this is a way to do it, but I don't know. Even like he's dictating his story, but even then, I don't know if it feels natural. But I guess you got to get that exposition out somehow. You know, explain who's who and what's happening. It really helped because I think I zoned out a little bit the first time I watched the episode, so this scene really helped me yeah. <laughs> figure out what was going on. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, that's why that like, happened. I guess it's good that it was there then. Yeah. Does anyone know anything about plaster casts? Is that, like, legitimate for that time in history? Hmm. I don't know. I wonder if uh, any doctors are... Stephanie Smith is going to be listening, I'm pretty sure. So, Steph, was there casts back then? <laughs> what do you mean, cast of what? Sorry, I missed that. Arms cast. Oh, yeah. I don't know. There must have been. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I'm not, not sure. Maybe there was just splints or something. Yeah, yeah. Not sure. Who knows? I'm sure someone will let us know. So after that, in my opinion, boring scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the next scene is uh, we're introduced to Briscoe. So what do you guys think of the introdu- introduction to him? Well, they do describe, actually, they do go to the club first with the barons, and they describe Briscoe's character a little bit. So they're like, Harvard lawyer. Oh, right. And make him sound all really nice. And then you see him as, like, this scruffy guy <laughs> getting ready to hang by the neck. You guys like that scene? Yeah. Is that a little bit implausible? Uh, all the Man. guns firing around him and no one he's not getting hit. I think the most yeah. impressive part was Comet. Comet? Yes. <laughs> Comet is Comet. my hero. Was it hang the horse? Nah. <laughs> can't can't hang the horse. No, Thomas pretty smart. I guess we should talk about Briscoe. He's played by Bruce Campbell. Duh. The incomparable Bruce Campbell. Yep. <laughs> From Evil Dead, uh, Burn Notice, Jack of All Trades, Xena and Hercules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he's gonna be at Portland Comic Con next weekend, so maybe I'll get to meet him. OMG, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be coming to the Calgary Comic Expo in April, too. Oh, jeez, guys! <laughs> when he has to get a voice uh, a voice clip. <laughs> get him to intro our show. <laughs> <sighs> That's been yeah. my dream to meet Bruce Campbell. You really crush on him, don't you? Yeah, he's pretty awesome. Mm. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. Um, my chin does not compare. <laughs> not good enough <laughs> <laughs> time for some uh, plastic surgery That's edition right. i don't know how hard, much harder that is <laughs> yeah. oh that'd be awful maybe you just like just inject like liquid so it's just like a really puffy jaw it's oh. <laughs> like a really weird jello jaw <laughs> I, I did this for you <laughs> oh god what's become of you <laughs> so these uh bandits I'm, I'm i'm guessing are the worst shots ever and <laughs> They use Briscoe as cover, and they're still not hitting him. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't understand how that was happening. Like, either he, like, sucked it in, and he was, like, trying to hold really still, or I don't know. How yeah. do you do that? I have no idea. I don't know. He's using the force to push the bolts around him. That's yeah. right. <laughs> this is this is his first lucky break in the, the episode. His first lucky break of many. Yes. Then we go to the Westerfield Club, and the robber barons are worried about Socrates' uh, his choice of Briscoe. Seems um, like he might not have made the a proper choice previously or something. They don't seem to trust him for some reason. Mm. Mm. It's, Shady. They got something against people with red hair. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Jerks. So Socrates is played by Christian Clemenson. Do you guys know him from anything? No, I don't know him. 
Okay. You guys are Buffy fans, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Remember the episode Bad Girls and that fat vampire that needed to be moistened all the time and he was always like, unacceptable! That was him. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Balthazar the disgustingly huge tub vampire. <laughs> I remember seeing. I remember seeing on the on the the Buffy DVDs like a special feature of bloopers, and there was one where uh, Christian Clemenson was in the tub, you know, doing his lines, and then a little hatch at the bottom swings open, and you just see his skinny little legs dangling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, Briscoe enters. They get their first look at him, and he dusts off. That was funny with all the jokes from Briscoe. I like how he keeps throughout the episode getting. Sophocles' name wrong, Euripides. Yeah. Um, something else, I can't remember why. Yeah, he just doesn't care. Yeah. Aristotle. And Comet comes in. Apparently he doesn't know he's a horse. <laughs> oh, so is this going to be like the dog from Family Guy where he talks eventually? <laughs> they treat him like he's a person, almost. I hope not. Although a talking horse would be awesome. Yeah, I know Ro- <laughs> I know. Robin from Intro to X was really hoping for a talking horse. <laughs> he almost got his wish. Almost, later. <laughs> <laughs> Fooled me for a second. But, yeah. uh, Briscoe used to be a lawyer, and he's been looking for the coming thing. He's excited for the future. And I, kinda, I, I like that about his character. Uh, he's smart, and he's forward-thinking. Not just swinging his fists all over the place. And, yeah. Although he still does spit a lot. What did you guys <laughs> feel about all the spitting anyways? <laughs> I don't remember. Did fa- that gross you guys out? I don't or? remember. Yes. <laughs> yes. I hate spitting. <laughs> it's a Western <laughs> show. It's expected. Yeah, I guess so. At least it's not like that gross tobacco spit where it's all brown and gross. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's almost as bad as vomiting. I hate <laughs> Why do they do that on TV so much? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that going to be a point of contention with you? <laughs> yes, it will be. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he insults the robber barons. I, d- I didn't really know what a robber baron was before this show. Mm. I'm still not super clear. I'm pretty sure it's just like someone who's like a businessman with a lot of money, but he's shady. Maybe. And it's like an old timey term. Yeah. Pretty much. They just take advantage of people. There's a lot of uh, shady dealings. Anyways, yeah. back in the Western days. So, because there was not really much law, anyways, to right. Yeah. Well, he insults them, and they almost fire him, but he makes an impassioned speech. <laughs> I really like that speech. It may be my quote. <laughs> Next. I just love how, but I love how he like does the speech, and they're like, eh, never mind. Like he calls them idiots. Hmm. He makes the speech, and they're like, eh, I guess you're hired. <laughs> Well, they were impressed. Uh, All he needed know. to do was a, a backflip or something. A backflip? He should have done backflip. He should have done the front flip, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then we get uh, Socrates is trying to put Briscoe in his place. Not your butler. You need receipts <laughs> and such. <laughs> I thought that was a funny running gag. It seems a little bit like they know each other from before, even though Briscoe keeps messing up Socrates' name. They don't remember each other, or they, just that they have good chemistry together? Well, they definitely have good chemistry together, but mm. I don't know, like, how did he choose Briscoe County Jr.? I guess they have a little bit of a past together, maybe? I don't Poss- know. Yeah, possibly. He might have known his father. Because mm. it seems mm-hmm. like a lot of people knew his father, but not him. Yeah, but they're a good pair together. They yeah. are. He uh, goes through his father's belongings. Yeah. He's pretty good at spinning that gun. Bruce Campbell said he would practice that just between takes, you know, it's something you can just do. He only takes the gun, the fancy gun, and he says to send the rest to the dead sheriff's museum. <laughs> I've never heard of such yeah, a thing. Funny. 
<laughs> have you guys ever heard of a dead sheriff's museum? They're the heroes of the, the West, you know? You gotta have some sort of like tribute to them. Yes, mm. but call it a dead sheriff's museum. <laughs> <laughs> it's inevitable. All sheriffs die. <laughs> yes. Uh, half price tickets at the dead sheriff's museum. <laughs> um, uh, come one, come all. <laughs> yeah. We have a little, little talk about uh, Briscoe's already prepared for his father's death. And then a notice slipped under the door, and it tells them to meet at a restaurant. What do you guys think of the next scene? I like it. It's. I think it really just shows off Bruce Campbell's character a lot. You know, his self-confidence. Yeah. I, yeah. I love a smug Bruce Campbell. There's yeah. nothing better. <laughs> yeah. So this is our introduction to uh, Lord Bowler, played by uh, Julius Carey, who he, he was on Murphy Brown few times in Boy Meets World, <laughs> but he, he was in a martial arts movie called The Last Dragon as the oh. uh, main bad guy named Shonuff. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the meanest? Shonuff! Am I the prettiest? Shonuff! Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? Shonuff! Well, who am I? Shonuff! Who am I? Shonuff! I can't hear you Shogun of Harlem. Shonuff. Shonuff. <laughs> I really want I, to see that. I'm, uh, I'm kind of conflicted about Bowler. He kind of, I kind of love him, but I also kind of hate him at the same time. <laughs> what do you hate about him? Just because he's kind of just goofy. Yeah, goofy kind of maybe. I kind of kept thinking about Mr. T the whole time. Like, I pitied a fool. Oh no, you just ruined Bowler for me. He's got to play off that. that. Oh, because Chris, I mean, Mr. T's just lame. No, <laughs> he's not. I love He's kind of ridiculous. I love. No, he's kind of funny. I love Bowler. <laughs> He'll, he'll grow. <laughs> so is that his real hair? Is he wearing a wig? I want to know. I think it's probably extensions. Okay. Mm, mm. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, he is kind of played to be a buffoon in, in this particular episode. I'm not... I don't remember... I'm guessing he gets... The next episodes, but... Yeah. I'm guessing he'll get more competent. I don't remember really, but... <laughs> yeah, but I don't... Yeah, I didn't really like that he was kind of, like, played to be the buffoon, because... I don't know. But I just find him... I, I love... When he gets grumpy, <laughs> like, yes, it's so it's funny. The best. <laughs> Maybe he's just the buffoon in contrast to Briscoe, mm. because yeah. Briscoe's kind of in his territory now. Lord Bully used to be the bounty hunter, so he's just trying to push him away. That's right. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's dealing with. Uh, Briscoe meets up with Lord Bowler here, and they play a game of chicken with dynamite. <laughs> and he's, he uh, forces Socrates to sit at the table, and that poor waiter has to <laughs> take his order. <laughs> There are some really good jokes in this scene. I wish I had written them down, but yeah, it's funny. Yeah, but I guess Bowler, if you just go by this scene, Bowler really sucks at hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> yes, but I love the way he throws the table, like, and like, Socrates just flies along with the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. It is a silly fight, though. I didn't really like how he was, like, punched to the ground, and he was just, like, like sitting there kind of... Like, you could basically see the stars and the little Tweety Birds floating around his head. It was kind of cartoony. And that was a waste of steak, by the way. Yeah. That was a huge steak. Maybe they sent it to him in jail. I hope so. Um, That was the biggest steak I've ever seen. (laughs) But they did one of those those jokes where where it's like a continued joke uh, with a a wipe in between for passage of time. So, like... 
if you just think about that practically, he's just like, I'll eat at the bar one hour later in front of a different group of people or behind bars. Yeah. What are you going on about, you crazy person? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I never thought about it that way. I mean, it works for us, but yeah, it wouldn't work in the continuity of the thing. The next scene is when the government worker comes for the orb. So there's a government worker here surrounded by people in shackles and he doesn't care. Like me, it's a living. Chinese slaves, hmm. Oh, well. Railroad is more important to the government. Yeah. <laughs> it's illegal, but this guy doesn't care. One of the robber barons shows up. Uh, Mr. Thoroughgood. That's right. He owns the railroads? He owns the railroads. Yes. And he wants this this orb. It's kind of shady how he, like, goes in the tent and closes the tent behind him. It's like he wants some private time with those rods or something. How do you get this thing to work? (laughs) It just seemed kind of a bit like he was, like, I don't know. He's going to explore possibilities with the orb. (laughs) (laughs) Something, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, the government wants the orb, and they they tell him to put it on the train. They label it as a unearthed foreign object. (laughs) You uh, (laughs) were... Yeah, that was pretty cool. UFO. That's a pretty cool anachronism or whatever you want to call it. Is that the right word? Acronym. No, I mean anachronism, like something out of, you know, it's in the wrong time period. Uh, Something we use now, but but yeah, it is also an acronym, you were correct. (laughs) (laughs) And we go to the courtroom scene. Bowler thinks he's all very experienced in handling the judge. Don't rile him up. Just take your 60 days. Yeah, he seems to have experience with this guy. The judge hates everything. <laughs> the judge has crazy eyebrows. So is, is there? Well, they usually did back then. Yeah. They always had, like people in westerns always had that those really shaggy eyebrows, like especially the old guys. They're not looking in mirrors all the time. Do you think they care? <laughs> Probably just keeps their like eyes warm. That's right. They don't <laughs> filters all the particulates out. <laughs> <laughs> During the icy winters. <laughs> See, you're staring at my eyebrows. They, they uh, keep my eyes warm. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> 60 days, hard labor. <laughs> like how Bowler tries to distance himself from Briscoe and then... Gets bit in the butt. How disappointed he is at the end. <laughs> he still gets Down with him. <laughs> <laughs> he still gets away. So he's resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. You can uh, at least say that about him. I'm going to pull up a piece of trivia right now. You know uh, those two big shotguns that Bowler always carries in the back, in the holsters there? The, like, short, sawed-off shotguns? I don't know if you mm-hmm. use them. But uh, those are the same prop shotguns that were later used in Firefly for Zoe. Oh, wow. Yeah, same ones. <laughs> yeah, and somewhere in this courtroom scene is where you get a brief glimpse of Terry Funk, who is... <laughs> wrestler from back in my child days one of my first memories was uh terry funk pile driving rick flair through the table i think it was that clash of the champions <laughs> wow. yeah, i still remember that do you remember that wrestler Matt? i'm trying to think i think i'm getting him confused with a honky-tonk man <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I never followed wrestling but every time i hear people talk about it I'm always like, it is I, silly. Don't, I don't understand. But what did it's Terry so Funk weird. look like? He had a goatee and you know, longish kind of hair. Mullet. He was so young back then. Didn't they all have mullets? So a lot then? of them had mullets. Yes. Yeah, a lot of them did back in those days. <laughs> Briscoe uses his lawyering skills here to get out of doing hard labor, which is pretty cool. We cut to a, the uh, dude with the message and the cool cave hideout. Oh yes, Lightning Bill comes upon John Bly's hideout. 
He's awful, cave. awful nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know more about Lightning Bill and why he's doing this. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem to be cut out for that job. <laughs> Who sent him? Did anyone send him? Did he come there on his own goodwill towards John Bly? I don't know. What do you guys think of this scene? The whole robbers and They're going stuff. through their plan to rob the train, yeah. They're all a little crazy, too. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote down clackety clack down the track. What is that? Mean? <laughs> I, need to, I need to take better notes. That was, uh, that was Pete when they're arguing over how fast the train goes. Just oh, like yelling at Scratchy. Oh yeah, Scratchy. That's his name. Yeah, Scratchy. He looks like uh, he looks like Ernest in a disguise. I don't like know. Like Ernest from the Ernest movies. Ernest P. Worrell in, in one of his disguises. <laughs> Did you guys find that? <laughs> Can you picture? <laughs> I guess. I guess now that I think about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pete Sutter, I forgot to mention the first time he popped up, is played by John Piper Ferguson. He was in uh, Burn Notice, uh, lots and lots of things. He was in an ex- episode of X-Files with big pussy boils on his face. <gasps> in a movie called Space Marines. <laughs> I like how over the top he is, at least with, with Pete in this in this show. John Bly comes out, squishes some grapes in his hands, and then mm. spreads the juice all over the room, <laughs> and then he eats turkey, like That's greasy insane. turkey, and then he goes to play the piano. Wash your hands! <laughs> it's gross. I know. <laughs> his hands must have been so sticky and greasy. Ugh. <laughs> and there was carpet on the floor. Was there? Yes. In a cave? Yes! Wow. You're outlaws. You think I care about that? <laughs> I guess not, but it grossed me out. <laughs> Come lay on a greasy carpet. <laughs> um, How do you like his frilly shirt? Oh my, he's got a pirate shirt. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. I do like it. <laughs> you like the look? And again, <laughs> yeah. And again, I like how he acts creepy just by moving slowly <laughs> and gesturing slowly and, and staring not off. Staring off into the corner of the room and not blinking, yeah. <laughs> just doesn't blink at all. It's so weird. I don't know, maybe that's his one his one acting trick. <laughs> oh, wow, is that why people think I'm creepy now? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> don't blink, do you? <laughs> and I stare and say nothing all the time. Do you move in slow motion? I do. You make great <laughs> gestures with your hands, just with the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is something though about people that will like look at you and not blink. It is a bit off-putting. Mm. Yeah, I know a few people like that. It's not their fault. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't see you right now. <laughs> Actually, your profile picture is black. So <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a black square. Yeah, it's just a black square. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't even tell if you're staring at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you supposed to have a profile picture? Is it just not showing up? Will. Hello. Oh, sorry. I muted my mic. Just <laughs> 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 getting a drink. But yeah, there should be a picture there with my glasses. Oh, well. It's not like it matters, I guess. Do I really exist? <laughs> Maybe you're just, it's like a webcam and you're like in a pitch black room. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Lightning Bill informs them about Briscoe County Jr. John Bly tells Lightning Bill to exit and keep to his left. And then we hear him fall to his death. <laughs> So, no, maybe he just fell. Maybe he's okay. Maybe he's okay. He's just really. Maybe he's just a quick exit out of the hideout. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Thank you. This really was faster. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they do that often, like throw people in that pit. <laughs> yeah, what you would run out of like associates at that point. Hmm. It's gonna smell bad too. No, <laughs> it wasn't even an associate. He was just a random passerby. He was like, I want to be John Blah. Yeah. yeah, I guess that turned him off. He's like, ugh, another fan. Yeah. <laughs> 
So in order to take care of Briscoe, they're going to send the Scarred Foot Clan. For uh, our pur- purposes, can I just call them the Foot? The Foot Clan? From the f- no, the Foot, like, you know, from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> the Foot. The Foot. <laughs> oh, James Avery. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. So Briscoe has a bath. We get a 100% clean Briscoe. He only cleaned his face before, and now he's 100% clean. First bath in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a common thing back then. Yeah. No baths. Oh, they get a clue about the painter from the column. Uses some deductive But they reasoning. never follow through with it. Yeah, they do. He sends Socrates to... But we never see anything. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a really silly clue to follow. Some random thing that the journalist wrote, right? Well, I mean... He's just, well, he was just trying to, like, belittle the painter's artwork. Yeah. I'm not saying it was good, but he's just... It just seems so random. Well, I mean, they used a painting to uh, trick the the train to crashing into the rocks, so I guess they just thought it was logical to follow up and look for painters. So there's a knock at the door, and get some Chinese uh, clan guys. Martial artists. Martial arts guys. And there's a big fight scene, and Bruce Campbell does his thing. (laughs) Oh, I love the faces he makes when he fights. (laughs) I know. I especially love his surprised face whenever he's about to duck a punch or whatever. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, <it's true. laughs> yeah. Or he'll like smirk to himself. <laughs> yes, I know I love that. He's a great physical actor. Yeah. yeah. So much better than Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you can edit that out later. <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll keep it in. Just to rub certain people. Briscoe's gun is knocked away and Socrates grabs it and then they're knocked out the window. Uh, and they're hanging above a cart full of sharp things. <laughs> Socrates hanging on his belt. He's more concerned about his own grip on Frisco <laughs> than Frisco's grip on the lid. <laughs> but the people, before you know their names, they're called like the Foot Clan or whatever, and their stomping is just so ineffective. <laughs> Yeah. It took them a long time to knock them off. They're not very adept at using their feet. That was crazy, though, how they fell backwards into the window, and then they ended up being able to hang on to the window. Mm. Like, they fell, like, their head first, like, arms flying out the window first. Yeah, they didn't flip head over heels. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe they did, and they grabbed it uh, on the way over. Yeah. <laughs> that was some fancy ledge uh, grabbing there. Yeah. <laughs> some weird physics there. <laughs> yeah. And then we get another lucky break. As the as they fall, the cart moves forward and they land in hay. It could have been a pile of manure. Yeah, if this was Back to the Future, it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels like Back to the Future at times. <laughs> oh, actually, the train in this episode was the same train they used in Back to the Future Part 3. Mm. The same one. They what? head over to the curio shop. Right. Briscoe sends we... Socrates to, to look for the painting. Did we ever find out if the word tong is derogatory? Oh, yeah. I do have some notes on, on. Uh, I was just curious because they seem to say a lot of thing like a, they say they said a lot of words and I was just we like didn't I'm know not what they sure were. about this. Well, I put those in my notes under a category: racism? Question mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that a big category? <laughs> it's got three terms. Uh, it's got tong, which is uh, a Chinese secret society or association, especially one popularly assumed to engage in criminal activities. Interesting. I did not know. So I don't think. That's racist. <laughs> Him, like those guys were clearly shady, and they were, you know, dressed like a secret society or a clan or whatever. So I think Tong accurately describes them. 
But uh, and that line earlier, I didn't order Chinese. Is that, <laughs> is that a little racist? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> it could be. Could be considered racist. Yes. <laughs> the other two are uh, later on. Um, Thorogood says, "Ask those coolies who found it, or something about the orb." And that is uh, during the 19th and 20th century was a label applied to a slave or unskilled manual laborer from Asia. So that is racist. Yeah, particularly if they were from southern China. So yeah, that one is. And then my, the third thing I put under racism I know is racist, which is <laughs> half-breed, which uh, usually refers to people who are part Native American. So I think Bowler is part Native American is what we can gather from that because uh, Big Smith kind of insults him with that later. So what happens next? He rings only once at Lou's. Oh, right, he goes to And then lose. he rings twice. <laughs> <laughs> which, which he didn't obviously didn't read the sign. <laughs> that ring ring only once thing is kind of that's not the ideal way to have your secret door, is it? Well, what if he had rung twice, not read the sign, rung twice the first time? The guy would have fallen through. Yeah, he could have killed that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once again, it was a funny scene, a good comedy. Uh, it's just free information that's really not free. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> I, li- I like I like the actor who plays the shopkeeper. He's got yeah. he's got a personality. He's, he's very what, what would you call it? Smarmy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like that. But don't don't you feel bad for me? Buy something. Come on. Yeah. Oh, I sorry, like... we're closed. <laughs> yes. Oh, and they got the open shut gag. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of racist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Briscoe breaks back in after he's kicked out. He ends up ringing the the service bell twice and falling into a secret cave. As he's spying on the people do it, training inside, yeah, a little kid totally takes him out. <laughs> that That's was a, embarrassing. <laughs> that was that was a great. It was like well a acted. Gag. A sight gag, yeah. like how he looks back at him and he like shh. The kid nods and he kind of like smiles himself, <laughs> like yep, that works. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and then he gets smashed over the head and he just kind of. And then they force him to fight on hot coals. I know. That's mean. <laughs> well, you gotta toughen up, I guess. But that is how toughen they... Those, toughen those feet up, yeah. is what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how they uh, they became the Scarred Foot Clan, I suppose. I don't, I don't know what the point of doing that is, besides having a calling card. Why would you put yourself through that much pain just to have a calling card for your clan? To show how tough you are. Yeah, yeah I guess. That's right. I can't feel my feet. I'm tough. <laughs> <laughs> My feet are effectively dead. <laughs> um, oh, that would suck. Lee Powell recognizes the the gun from the holster. Yeah, so they don't end up killing him. <laughs> killing them from dancing on hot coals. Yeah, well, he would have died. <laughs> He's not used to stepping on coals. Has that happened? Where people have died from like dancing on hot coals? The no, I mean like, he oh. would have like collapsed and started oh. burning, and then they would beat him to death. <laughs> oh. oh wow, you took that really far. Wow, okay. Well, logically, what do you think would happen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no idea. They'd be like, "Oh, we were just kidding. You're free to go." <laughs> but uh, I found it weird when they said we ex- exist only to fight the tyranny of Big Smith. So this, this clan. Not John Bly, Big Smith. No, they said Big Smith. Huh. This clan of Chinese warriors exists solely to battle one guy. <laughs> it seems excessive. Mm, does maybe there's a whole family of Big Smiths? Mm. He's like only one after many generations. Yeah, Big Smith Junior, Junior, Junior. And when Big Smith dies, they no longer have a purpose. Yeah, what are they gonna do? They're just gonna wander around aimlessly. They're just gonna sit around. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sit around and 
wonder why they ever did that to their feet. <laughs> Man, I wish I had my feet back. <laughs> They're going to tell their children and their grandchildren, kids, don't do this. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> He'll regret it. So Briscoe and Lee Pao talk about uh, John Bly and Big Smith. Briscoe learns about the orb and its mystical powers. And uh, Lee Pao informs him about Disc- uh, Dixie Cousins, who is... Big Smith's girlfriend. And then uh, as Briscoe leaves, uh, Lee Pao talks to himself for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know what he was doing there. Yeah, he's a little bit insane. (laughs) It's because his feet are really hurting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's made him crazy, the pain. So we cut to the horseshoe club. Will, what happens in this scene? Oh, um, well, (laughs) I didn't... Stay on your feet. (laughs) Yeah, um... This is where he's looking for her, and she just magically shows up there when he's looking for her, and it's where he, well, I don't remember. (laughs) So he gets in a fight and gets punched in the face, right? Yeah, we're introduced to Dixie Cousins, uh, played by Kelly Rutherford. Uh, I do not know her from many things. Do you guys? No. No. She reminds me of Julie Benz. I don't know. Really? Yeah, nah, I, don't I don't know. See it. No, you don't see it. It's just you, Matt. You like whenever you see like a blonde actress, you're always like, they all look the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. No. So I don't take much uh, into that. <laughs> what do you think of? But I like her. Dixie Cousins. She does good act. At this point, I didn't think I wasn't thinking much about her. Okay. What do you think about her compared to Amanda? Mm-hmm. who is uh, the other woman that Briscoe meets here who accidentally punches him in the face. Um, <laughs> just goes off on him. He's waiting to burst. Yeah. Uh, There's like two polar opposites with these women. Yeah. But I... I really hate Amanda. <laughs> I don't know. Why? She, uh, she's so... Every other character in the show is full of life and vibrant, and she's just like a stick in the mud, like... Vortex of banality, like <laughs> what? She, she reminds me of Annie from Twin Peaks or Kate from Angel. I don't know. She just, I don't. Maybe it's just me, but I find her very. You this, find her bland. Bland, and this was the actress's first job, and I think you could tell. Like she'd never acted before this, and I think she's just outclassed by everybody. I don't know. Am I the only one who feels that way? You guys okay with Amanda? Yeah, she's all right. I didn't have any major problem with her. I just googled vortex of banality. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with it. So. I don't even know. Are there a lot of hits for that? I don't even. There's one at the. There's one steaming vortex of banality. It's a video. Steaming. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to click on that. No, never click on anything that's steaming. <laughs> but I think I'm using banality in the right reference. Like she's just so blah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really want to like her though. Yeah. Because she's, you know, she, it's kind of. Well, it's good that she's like a strong female character. Yeah. In this. I want to like her. I just don't like the actress. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if that was actually uh, Kelly Rutherford singing in the song. We never did find oh, out. I really doubt it. Usually. Yeah. People don't sing their own songs. But. Yeah. Well, I, I could tell it was like, like she was like singing she's, to a track. She's definitely overdubbed. Yeah. But we just don't know if she's dubbed with her own voice. Yeah. Um, singing about filing claims. Yeah. That's a song for a lawyer, if I've ever heard. Yeah, it got Socrates very excited. <laughs> Ooh, filing claims. <laughs> He's the worst cat caller. Yes. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> His head and like. He's like totally unnatural. He's obviously never done that before. Yeah. He, speaking of wrestling, he did sound like he sound like Ric Flair will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he threw his head back and he totally did that. Um, uh, I want to know what the hell a Mitch is. When yeah. she's like, mm, what a Mitch. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? The <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, we also get introduced to Amanda's father, Albert Albert Wickwire, played by uh, John Aston from The Addams Family. Uh, Gomez. Oh, Adams. yes. Okay. Yeah. I love her father. Yeah, he's great. He's is John Aston related to Sean Aston? I think he is. I think okay. he's. Let's Google it right now. But IMDb. I'm pretty sure he is. Somebody else can Google it while I'm going. While I'm continuing, I don't want to slow us down. I have a note here that says Bruce Campbell, you're so dreamy. Why? What did he do? <laughs> I don't know. That's my next note. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm looking through your notes. It's all Bruce Campbell, you're so dreamy. <laughs> can you blame me? Really? Come on. <laughs> Uh, afterwards, Dixie gets a message from a coach while Briscoe and uh, Socrates are spying on her. The person giving the message has a distinctive-looking top to their cane. And then they ride off, and Dixie gets on another stagecoach, and Briscoe... Sneaky, sneaky. Sneaky. Sneaky Briscoe steals a ticket in the random case, and uh, he tells Socrates to give Comet a green apple and he'll love you for life. Aww. And then... What'd you guys think about him stealing the ticket? Seemed like a natural course of action. <laughs> okay. What, yeah, what do you need to do? <laughs> what a jerk. What a jerk. Um, <laughs> that's so sweet of Socrates, you know, to come bring Cobbin an apple. wasn't green, though. <laughs> what do you think? This might have been my second favorite bowler scene. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Did we already see your first favorite? No, it's coming later. Okay. Yeah, this is a good scene for bowler. <laughs> so, yeah, bowler pretends to be a talking horse. <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> I, I was fooled the first time yeah. when I watched it. Yeah, we I was were, like, we really? were totally that's... excited. I was like, really? <laughs> it's this kind, this kind of show? <laughs> I was convinced that Socrates believed he was actually talking worse. Oh, you, you didn't know that he had caught on? No. But uh, Socrates, uh, he doesn't, you know, for being uh, like a pencil neck geek, he doesn't, uh, <laughs> he doesn't uh, back down to Bowler when he's right in his face. Mm. Threatens him with bodily harm. Yeah. <laughs> He inadvertently suggests to Bowler that he use uh, Comet to find Briscoe. And then on the stagecoach, Briscoe's creeping on Dixie while she's sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) The drivers are drinking. (laughs) Enjoying themselves in a lot. Yeah. And the flirting begins. (laughs) Oh my god. The friggin' drivers, though. Like, like, like little five-year-olds. <laughs> pickle. Like, yeah. Come on. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever gotten like that? You were so drunk that the word pickle made you laugh. Yeah, just anything will set you off. I just love how they like just they they're laughing and then they both stop and they stare at each other in anticipation and then one of them goes <laughs> and then one of them goes pickle and the other guy just throws his head back and laughs and falls off. I love that they just fall off the wagon. I know the they're they're dead now. <laughs> but before that happened. There was some flirting going on. <laughs> Briscoe claims to be Roscoe Merriweather, and they open up the case, and it's some very fancy brushes. He makes up that they're for zoo animals. Those brushes look pretty dangerous. I was afraid Dixie was going to take one, and she was caught on to that he wasn't who he said he was, and was going to, like, attack him with the brushes. <laughs> <laughs> you thought she might be a, just as violent as her boyfriend? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. What do you think of the dynamic of her dating Big Smith? I find it an odd match. Well, she just knows something that we don't know, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so after they fall out of the the couch, couch, coach. After they <laughs> after they fall out of the couch cushions, uh, <laughs> after they fall out of the coach, uh, 
they land on top of each other hilariously in front of Big Smith and his gang. Oh, I but, love I love the when she like sees that it's Big Smith and she turns her head away. She's like, oh jeez. <laughs> oh, actually, before that, there was Pete singing his own version of "She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain," <laughs> which was great. Wonder how improvised that was. I don't know. Yeah, so they land in front of Big Smith and his gang, and this is one of my favorite scenes. I really like this this whole song and dance of awkwardness. Awkwardness. <laughs> What's his real identity? It does look very awkward the way they land <laughs> and how they, you know, they're stuck like that and he has to reach down between both of their legs to get out. Yes. <laughs> you guys have any thoughts on this scene? Nope? Okay. No. Um, whenever you guys have notes that you've written down, feel free to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> so Dixie gives Big Smith the note that she had received. She introduces him to Big Smith and uh, since she used... Uh, Big Smith's name, they're going to shoot Briscoe. Dixie jumps in front of him, uh, says that he's somebody. Just guessing, I, I suppose. Briscoe comes up with another identity here, uh, Wiley Stafford. I'm not sure if this is somebody he's heard of or if he just got lucky with a name. I don't know, what do you guys think from looking at his face? Did he just get lucky and pull a name out of a hat? or? Yeah, I think he just got lucky. Yeah, that is quite a coincidence. <laughs> pull that one out. Kansas Wiley Stafford's got a reputation that precedes him. <laughs> I really like when they ask him where he's from. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pete is so intense. It's great. <laughs> they go in that crazy town where they're lawless town where there's like... Yeah, there's they like go no... to Sutter Creek, which yeah. is the same as Pete's last name, Pete Sutter. Oh, yeah. It is maybe his family founded family, the town. His family runs it. That's why it's all <laughs> lawless. Maybe. Uh, and we cut to... They have a drink together. Big Briscoe Smith and, and Bowler having a drink and talking about Briscoe, his money hat. Not Bowler. Immediate best friends. I keep, keep saying Bowler. <laughs> um, he takes a pretty quick liking to Briscoe. So yeah. Immediately all jolly and friendly with him. Does yeah. he really like him, though? I found that well, a little questionable. Yeah. It, like I think it's testing. his face. He'd turn on him any second, but yeah. still. Yeah. I think he respects him. Yeah, at the very least he does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can, I can never tell how suspicious he is of him. Well, he's testing him, obviously, mm. with those... Like insulting his dad like that, and you know yeah. he's just trying to. I guess he passed. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just trying to fish him out. But I like I like that though about like how Bruce Campbell played Briscoe because in like the previous scene when he was trying to, when he said the Kansas Wiley Stafford thing, and then they were like, oh yeah, that's the guy that shot five men. He's like, oh that's impressive. Like you could tell yeah. on his face, he was like, oh that's if any of them were like, if any of them were watching his face, they'd know they, they would have known that it was a lie. Yeah, <laughs> but in this this scene, he's actually like doing a really good job of covering it up. Like he's mm. not letting on that you know he's insulted in any way or yeah, just like ah oh, whatever. <laughs> I thought he did a good job. Bruce Campbell's great at those expressions, yes. <laughs> the bemused expression. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Big Smith reveals that him and uh, twelve others killed his dad. Briscoe doesn't take the bait. That's a crazy hat, by the way. Oh, the money hat? <laughs> the $3,000 hat? Yeah. Just a little extra bonus if you, you kill do? him. What would you guys do if you had a $3,000 money hat? <laughs> Spend it? Sell it. <laughs> sell it? <laughs> you sell- this hat is worth $3,000. Worth <laughs> you sell it for $3,000 on eBay. <laughs> I'm never going to wear that hat, so might as well sell it. <laughs> it's not like you'd want to spend the time unfolding those dollar bills anyways. <laughs> They're all linked together, damn it. It's like a weird origami. Yeah. <laughs> so then Briscoe goes to send a telegraph in Latin, in a general store, I guess, and he runs into Amanda and, uh, and her father again, and Pete. 
Briscoe's always showing off his showing off new tricks, like how he corrects the telegrapher. Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> always showing off his smarts. And he also grabs the gun out of Pete's hand. Nobody touches Pete's piece. Yeah, this was, I guess, the scene where I didn't really like. I thought Pete was just a little bit too much, but a little a little Pete's okay, but too much is a uh... yeah, too much crazy is <laughs> handle too much crazy out of Pete. I don't know when I when I first watched this the uh, his little monologue about his memory of himself as a child <laughs> gave me the biggest laugh <laughs> when so I watched the episode the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I can see how it would uh, it's not for everybody. But I think he's a good contrast to the cool of Bruce Campbell's character. Well, that's the fun thing too about like all the the characters when they get all flustered and and Briscoe County Jr. stays pretty calm through mostly. Mm-hmm. You never really see him flustered or anything. Yeah. But everybody else around him is always like, oh! Mm-hmm. Except for John Bly, I guess. But John Bly moves too slowly to be flustered. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's like a chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> so the professor hits Pete with some stovepipes, and uh, yeah, we get the whole thing where Briscoe grabs Pete's piece when he threatens uh, the professor, and this leads to a showdown where... Um, they're going to cheat. They're going to catch Briscoe in a crossfire, but uh, he ducks. <laughs> I guess it's as simple as that. Yeah, I like how he knew what was happening and knew to duck, even though he wasn't you know, looking at everybody. Yeah, I could see them out of his corner of his eye, I guess. Yeah. I wonder if he did employ vector calculations. <laughs> <laughs> that would have left him in a horrible spot, though, if they hadn't all wiped themselves out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're, those robbers are all... He's got. He got rid of, like, what, like four of them in one shot? Yeah, but those guys weren't... They didn't kill his dad. No. None, none of those guys. N- not even Pete? Nope. Well, oh. I mean, Pete's, Pete caused the train to crash. But, That's right, yeah. So, I guess, so he got rid of the minor I guess characters. Pete, I guess Pete is ultimately responsible. Yes, he's the one that... Your quest is over, Briscoe. You killed your, your father's killer. <laughs> There's also a lot of spit in that in that showdown scene. Oh, Every yes. single one of them spit. Yes. <laughs> Sorry you had to see that, Will. I'll live. <laughs> <laughs> As he chokes down the vomit. <laughs> <laughs> One thing made you another, unfortunately. <laughs> Everybody comes over and starts complimenting Briscoe. And, uh, Dixie claims him for, zo- for her own. <laughs> Dixie kind of stakes her claim. <laughs> um, she, she files her claim. Files her claim, yes. Lol. And uh, Amanda thinks Briscoe's gross now that she thinks he's an outlaw. So fickle. So obviously this leads to sex with Briscoe. <laughs> Hard work being <laughs> a bounty and hunter. <laughs> And that's quite the getup that Dixie's in, just you know, just it to was, take it off. <laughs> it was funny during the commentary. Uh, it was Carlton Cuse and uh, Bruce Campbell, and yeah. they were just discussing something else. And then this scene came up, and they panned up Dis- Dixie's body, and then they stopped talking, and they're just like, "Oh, this is distracting." <laughs> <laughs> they, they totally lost their train of thought. Yeah. Yeah, commentary. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> she does look good. Yep. Hey, no. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. For being conniving, why would Dixie tell Briscoe her plan? She likes him. And she's starting to like him more than Big Smith, I guess. It must be why. She's going to play him, too, now. Maybe. So he gets the info about the train, and then they get it on. And then he leaves <laughs> in the middle of the night. I like their chemistry, by the way. Be- between I like the chemistry mm. between a lot of the characters. Yeah. I find they're all good pairings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They are. Like I said, all the characters are... Very vibrant and colorful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No stick in the muds like a certain FBI agent. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to stop that. You're gonna start an all-out war. You're gonna have to specify which. No. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of them except Gordon Cole <laughs> from Twin Peaks. So 
He's sneaking on the railroad happenings. Spies on the, their plans for the railroad, and then somebody finds him, and he runs off on a horse. And it was at this point that I was like, Briscoe and Comet aren't aren't together enough in the pilot. They spend too much time apart, because he's on some other <laughs> random part. Random horse right here. Comes upon Amanda, and, he and just, he's like, hey, just play along. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> You two-timing bastard. I, I expected her to slap him across the face, because she said she wasn't into that kind of thing. Yeah, I know. In the, back in the bar. Yeah, she played along. Anyways, they bought it. Yeah, those those doofuses bought it. And uh, then uh, Wickwire shows up. It's shows... adorable when he takes his head off. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, he thinks he's been caught smooching Aww, the daughter. It's so cute. He totally doesn't care about that. Uh. And then uh, he sees the rocket, and he gives him some tips about how it could make the rocket better. So again, Briscoe is very smart. And in the next morning in the saloon, uh, Big Smith found Lord Bowler. I wonder why he's a lord. Why he's a lord? Yeah, I don't... Yeah. Maybe that's you guys his first name. Don't... You think? Yeah, I think so. You don't think he's got the title lord? Can, no. you, can you have the title of lord in America? I don't... Give it to yourself. <laughs> Maybe he gave it to himself. I don't know. I thought it was a British thing. Yeah. You can make yourself a lord. I want to be a lord. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Will. Yes. <laughs> I want to be a duke. <laughs> duke. Duke Matt. Yeah. So. Life would be great if we could all give each other, give ourselves some. Honorifics. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Bowler doesn't give Briscoe up for some reason. That's kind of nice. And then, yes, we get some rare, rare racism. I don't think there's too much of that in this show. <laughs> Big Smith insults him. Yeah. So then they pull in the, the trump card, which is Comet, and Comet totally gives Briscoe up for an apple. <laughs> Damn you, Comet. It's the unexpected. <laughs> Traitor. Yes, I know. Uh. I wasn't expecting him to give him up at all. No. I remember the first time, I was like, ah, oh, he's not going to do it. Yeah, I thought... <laughs> They're he, close buddies. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't, you know, when they were slapping him, he didn't let Briscoe get hanged at the yeah. beginning there. But Well, they didn't know about the green apple, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Comet was being told not to move by Briscoe. Comet's only a horse after all. Think if those guys who had Briscoe with the rope around the neck, if they had, you know, put a, a green apple in front of Comet, that he would have walked forward and hung Briscoe. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Comet. So Briscoe's found out, and then they tie Briscoe and Lord Bowler to the tracks. I love this. I love <laughs> Again, I love how grumpy Bowler is. <laughs> yeah, this was my favorite Bowler scene. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when Comet is chewing through the rope, he's like, every man for himself. Yeah, he's trying to coax Comet <laughs> to get him first. He's uh, so desperate. I just love how desperate he is. Yeah. Comet cuts the, the rope with his horseshoe. After saving Lord Bowler, Briscoe rides the wrong direction, but he goes to Wickwire's place. And he straps onto the rocket. Saddle on it. That was awesome. Yes. That was pretty awesome. Would you guys ride on that rocket if it had a saddle on it and everything? I wouldn't touch it since the previous three exploded. (laughs) Every year at the Calgary Stampede, Mm. um, there's always displays and stuff. The military has a display, and they have, like, something similar, like a missile, and they put a saddle on top of it so (laughs) kids can, like, sit on it. That's freaking awesome. Take pictures. (laughs) Wow. Well, we were listening to the commentary, and apparently this thing was rigged so that it would actually work. Like, it was... Yes. motorized and it had a throttle on the right hand foot and he had controls to shoot flames at the back so uh, Bruce Campbell was actually controlling this thing so he had to be careful not to slam into the train and stuff and he also <laughs> gave him a warning he's like this thing shoots flames out like yeah. the back like 10 or whatever 10 feet I don't know careful no one's behind you yes <laughs> <laughs> 
So the train goes through a tunnel and knockout gas knocks everyone out, but the uh, the dead man switch doesn't go off, so the train doesn't stop. And uh, Big Smith's gang boards the train. Briscoe narrowly narrowly avoids hitting the train because his thing runs out of fuel at the exact right moment. It's another lucky him. Another lucky break. It's just that luck on his side. But he lassos the the train. Does spitting on your hands really help you when you're climbing up a rope? I wouldn't think so. Wouldn't it? I don't know. Maybe if your hands are sweaty, maybe spit is stickier than sweat. Gross. I guess. <laughs> it's a bit of lubrication, because those ropes are pretty rough, so it hurts. Yeah, I guess. It's that, gross. That's a dangerous stunt, because if you fell off of that rope, you would get crushed by the little car coming behind. There's a lot of dangerous stunts in here. So Briscoe pretends to be asleep, and then backhands a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the gang finds the UFO. The UFO? Yes. They were going to take it, so I guess this wouldn't have worked out for Mr. Thoroughgood, who set this whole thing up. Mm. John Bly told them to take everything and didn't, didn't tell them to leave the, the orb, so yeah, he would have lost the orb if this had gone without a hitch. Briscoe lassos a couple guys, and then uh, he fights Big Smith using a gold bar. <laughs> uh, you guys have any thoughts on this scene? Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, Briscoe uses the... Uh, big orb to deflect a bullet and then he throws it at Big Smith and Big Smith falls out and it's all miniatures and uh, <laughs> and he hits the water and that water looks shallow. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was miniature it was a miniature so it wasn't a real river but when he fell in the water you could kind of see that whatever they threw in the, the little dummy completely displaced all of the water around it and smacked the bottom. Oh. <laughs> so I, I really loved seeing the orb float down the river with the cowboy hat next to it. Mm. I kind of wanted the cowboy hat to be on top of the orb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! Yeah, the orb. <laughs> the orb. The orb. Voice Wearing over. the hat. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wonder if they had guys downstream to catch their props. I hope so. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Briscoe climbs back up, pulls the brake, and the uh, model train go- almost goes off the diorama cliff. <laughs> the... <laughs> Uh, but he's okay. That would but be a fun diorama to build. Even though it's all miniatures, it's still better than CG, in my opinion. It's still better than, say, a CG plane on Lost. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How do you guys feel about practical effects versus CG effects? Maybe, specifically in TV, maybe. Because yeah. CG in movies is pretty good. Yeah, on TV, yeah, usually the effects are pretty bad. I'm okay with it, though. Now Briscoe goes to see... Mr. Thoroughgood and accuses him of working with John Bly because he saw his cane sticking out of that coach when he gave the train schedule to Dixie. Not only a lawyer, he's also a detective. (laughs) He's a man of many talents. He's like (laughs) proto-Batman. Proto-Batman. Like a cowboy Batman. Yeah. Oh, that cave Hmm? where they were mining. It was also the same cave as the Batcave. Yeah, that was the same filming location as the Adam West Batcave. Really? Where's that? Do you know? It's in California. Can't remember the name of it. But apparently it's a well-known cave that everybody uses. <laughs> apparently it's like it's like it looks like it's really desolate there, but apparently it's like the city's right next to it. Mr. Thoroughgood wanted the power of a, a dozen men and then we get He's just like I feel like I'm 22, but he looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he uses uh, the strength to beat up Briscoe a little bit until he starts melting. <laughs> Yeah, what's going on there, guys? Disintegrating pretty much. Yeah, what's going on? And why is sand blowing? Where's the wind coming from? <laughs> That's a really good question. It, yeah, it just cuts to like a, a low angle shot of Briscoe blowing all his dust. It's <laughs> 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 the energy of the orb dispersing from his body, so it like, creates a wind. 
so a do vortex. You think, do you think all those Chinese slaves uh, melted as well, since they used the power of the orb? I don't think so. I like the comment that Briscoe says in the next scene to Socrates. Mm. He's like, interesting how, you know, the slaves, they pretty much were freed with the power, and their own good was killed by his greed. Maybe it has to do with your, you know, what you do with the power it gives you, I guess. But that whole scene where he melted was very Indiana Jones. <laughs> it was. So yeah, in the next scene, uh, Briscoe and Socrates wonder about the orb. <laughs> Briscoe likes Socrates' new look, which is just simply not wearing a tie. <laughs> I didn't notice. Such a yeah. He seems like such a less of a stuck-up man now. Yeah, but he also seems very lame when he's trying to be cool and drop his G's and give people affectionate nicknames. So funny. <laughs> it is pretty lame. <laughs> Brisk. Um, I think in this podcast we should just refer to, refer to him as Brisk now. Never. <laughs> <laughs> we should also drop our G's. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Let's all drop our G's for the rest of the podcast. Done. Nice sentimental scene here. Oh, yes, mm. with the head sewn. Uh, I was trying to read the headstone <laughs> to read the headstone um, of his father and it looked like it said he died in uh, 1888 but that can't be right <laughs> so I thought that happened I thought the year that this happened was like uh, 1893. 1893 yeah yeah so how did he die like what he died like five? or no sorry sorry I, I meant when when he it was said born in, born in 1888 oh, okay. it looked like it said born in 1888 so yeah that doesn't yeah, make sense because he would have been, five. He been yeah. five yeah but yeah the uh the death thing was correct but i said so five years passed between his birth and his death <laughs> no between he died and the rest of the episode no sorry i i, I spoke wrong at first okay i, I meant sorry. i meant i meant it it looked like his uh birth date was 1888 but it must have been 33 or something yeah the numbers were blurry okay uh but it's not yeah a blu-ray <laughs> his yeah his death his death date was correct it's in 1893 yeah briscoe admits that his father's work is uh pretty hard and he vows to get to it the other 12 killers mm. but he's not after revenge no 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 it seems like he is though almost in a way but i uh, guess not well, yeah, I think he's up for revenge. Yeah, but he said Why? he wasn't. I think he's just fooling himself. He also said he was prepared for his father's death, but he kind of chokes up here. Yeah. We find out his mom's name is Ruth Gage County. Is County a real a real last name? I really I doubt it. Quick, to the Googles. I tried to Google it, but it's pretty much impossible to Google County without coming up with place names. Yes. You'd have to, like, true. know in advance the name of somebody. You'd with, have to like, personally know a county. Google Fred County. Just because it's a common <laughs> name, like Bill County or Jill County. Phil County. <laughs> yeah. Mike County. Uh, There's a Bill County on Facebook. Really? Oh. I guess it, I guess there is one. He, looks he changed his name, though. He's an old guy. So then Briscoe rides off in the sunset, and we get the uh, credits. Uh, so what'd you guys think of the episode? Do you want to you wanna give it a rating? I... Really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was funny. It had a lot of great jokes and one-liners. And it has to do with what a lot of pilots have to do is introduce you to all the characters and you know explain what's going on. But overall, I loved Bruce Campbell, loved Comet, <laughs> loved, hated Bowler, <laughs> and some of the other characters too. So I give it an 8 out of 10 blue lightsabers. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Little mini ones. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys uh, uh, find this episode like way too long for your liking? An yeah. hour and a half. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit. Yeah, it was a little long. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
I the first if... time I watched it, like I watched the episode twice, the first time I felt it was a little disjointed because just, there's just so much introduction, I guess. I'm wondering if that might have been part of the reason why they didn't have the, the uh, viewership that, that they should have had, maybe. No, they get, they debuted this really strong ratings. Really strong ratings? Like really? all throughout the beginning of the season. It was just the time slot. And then it kind of dropped off. It's not unusual for pilots, though, to I think to be this long. To be this long, yeah. No, Twin, Twin Peaks was this long as well. Yeah. Mel, what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 abnormally large stakes. Mmm. <laughs> it looked like it... Freakishly large. Freakishly large stakes. stakes. Yeah. <laughs> That's better. All right. Um, yeah, I enjoy this episode. I enjoy the... Uh, I enjoy yeah. their dynamic. I enjoy the rapport. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah. I enjoy the bad guys. The I enjoy the good guys. Well yeah, the cast yeah. works really well. Yeah, I like the story. I like the mixture of sci-fi and western. That's kind of fun. I really liked it. I'll give it a nine point five out of ten. Green apples of temptation. Oh, poor comet. I thought yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a really strong opening too. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Rocket saddles. Now, I don't think this is a bad rating, and it was lower than. No, no, seven's but, still good. Yeah, I really like, as you guys said, the characters are excellent and the, their dynamics together are really good. It just, well, it was a lot of setup and not too, I didn't feel like their left a common thread through it was very smooth. It was, yeah, it was solid. When you think about it, John Bly, the main villain, apparently is only in two scenes. <laughs> and yeah, Comet and Briscoe aren't together the whole time, pretty much the whole episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is very disjointed in that way because the characters don't really know each other yet, hmm. anyways. So, but you can sense that there's sort of like partnerships forming and you know, yes, yeah, yeah, so much potential. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, did you guys have like a high point of the episode and a low point of the episode? What I was thinking of doing was uh, we each nominate a high point of the episode and a low point, and then I'll put a poll up on the Facebook group and everybody can vote. But was the best or the worst? I know what my low point is. What's your low point? John Bly with the his uh, dirty hands, <laughs> <laughs> dirty turkey grape hands. <laughs> okay, that's my low point. <laughs> what was your high point? What is my high point? Let me think about it. You can just go around with low points, I guess. Sure. My low point was actually just all the uh, the stuff with the Scarred Foot Clan. I liked the stuff in the pawn shop. But the Scarred Foot Clan stuff, I, I, th I think I'm just burned out of Chinese martial arts clans because when I was younger, I used to watch every Chinese martial arts movie I could find. And after a while, I found that 90% of them are just horrible. <laughs> so I think I've seen all the good ones. And I, if I never see an, a, a secret Chinese society of fighting people ever again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> That's just a personal thing for me. Well, my low point was the last fight between Briscoe and Mr. Thoroughgood. Uh, maybe I was just tired by the end, but it just seemed kind of lame to me the way it ended. He was lucky again for Briscoe. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the same thing as well, so I'm going to go with that as well. Oh. It just, yeah, a little bit lame. Um, just the whole, like, counter plot of Thoroughgood didn't seem as devious as it could have been. Anyone want to go with the, the strongest point of the episode for them? For me, it was the rocket scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I'm going to go with uh, the introduction to Bowler. I love the scene in the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I love that whole thing where he, he's just so very grumpy. <laughs> I love it. But he's delightfully grumpy. Yes, he is. I want to go with the 
the scene just before the showdown between Briscoe and Pete. In the um, in the, inside the shop. Yeah, when, he, when Pete's going through his memories, his harsh <laughs> childhood memories. <laughs> is it wrong to say that the high point for me is anytime uh, Bruce Campbell is on screen? <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will let you do that once. <laughs> You may do that for this episode, but never again. He was delightful. Also, also the uh, the scene in the uh, the stall, the horse stall with okay. Socrates and Bowler was quite delightful. Do you want to do that one instead? The talking horse. Sure, talking horse. Okay. All right. So we've got tons of trivia, but I think I'm going to skip it because uh, I'll I'll do it next time. This was an extra long episode. Yes, we're running long anyways. Yeah. All right, guys. Since this episode was so long, we saved your feedback for part two, and I'm going to put them out pretty much at the same time, so it should already be in your feed. So check out the feedback section. It's a lot of fun. You guys had a lot of good stuff to say. Oh, and we also do some quotes and impressions and such. Thanks for joining us, folks. Be sure to tune in again in two weeks' time for the next exciting episode. In the meantime, please be so kind as to follow along with us and send your feedback to introbrisco at gmail.com. If you'd fancy to, you can join our discussion on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash introbrisco. Also, we're on them newfangled Twitters at introbrisco, and we've got one of them fancy blogs at introbrisco.blogspot.ca. If you want to be a grump, that's okay But could you be a grumpy kind of further away? It's not that I don't love you, cause you know I do Sometimes I'm grumpy too And if you want to be an edge, that's okay But could you be an edgy kind of further away? It's not that I don't love you, cause you know I do Sometimes I'm edgy too I think I understand Exactly what it is you're going through Oh, and your oatmeal's lumpy and your socks are all bumpy What's a poor kid to do? If you want to be a pest, that's okay But could you be a pesky kind of further away? It's not that I don't love you, cause you know I do Sometimes I'm pesky too Exactly what it is you're going through Oh, and your oatmeal's lumpy And your socks are all bumpy What's a poor kid to do? Oh, if you want to be a grump, that's okay But could you be a grumpy kind of further away? It's not that I don't love you, cause you know I do Sometimes I'm grumpy too (laughs) 